Well, peace be with you, my brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ever since St. Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, life had not been good to him. Once he became a Christian, things changed pretty quick. Things changed drastically as he had been given this new vocation, this, this uh, calling as an apostle, this proclaimer, a preacher of the gospel. Now, whether it was from the, the, the uh, corruption of sin, the curse of sin over all the creation, or whether it was from the enemies of the gospel, Paul would face opposition at every turn. He was shipwrecked, snake-bitten, stoned nearly to death, threatened, mocked, persecuted, wrongfully imprisoned. And all for what? That stuff wasn't going on before he met Christ. What changed? In our epistle passage today, he referred to these wild beasts that he fought in Ephesus. I don't know if you caught that. He talked about wild beasts in Ephesus. Now, whether or not he was talking about fighting against literal beasts, as some suggest, or if he was talking about uh, taking on those who opposed his message and he was calling them beasts, the point remains the same. Paul was in danger every moment of every hour. That's why he said, I die every day. I die every day. And while it's true that most of us don't suffer in the way that Paul did, we still do suffer. We do. Every day we deal with the effects of a sinful and fallen world, whether it's illness or whether it's loss. Some of us have chronic pain, depression, or things like this. We suffer. We have pandemics and civil unrest to contend with. It's hard enough living in this world. But Jesus' words in our gospel reading this morning seem to make it worse. We are to bless those who curse us. We're to pray for those who abuse us. Turn the other cheek to those who would strike us on the cheek. Give to those who would steal from us. You know what? Why does Jesus even seem to suggest that these things will happen to us? Why does he suggest that? Here's the answer. Because we belong to him. We belong to him. They happen to him and so they will happen to us. It's already hard enough to live in this world full of brokenness and sin. But being a Christian can sometimes make it even more difficult. What I want you to know is that it makes absolutely zero sense to live the Christian life if there is no real, real reward at the end. This is exactly what Paul is saying in our epistle lesson this morning. This is what Jesus is saying in our gospel lesson. That there is a very real reward. That the reward is so encompassing in its greatness, it is so glorious in its scope that the things that we suffer this side of eternity pale in comparison. The resurrection of our bodies into everlasting life on the day when Jesus returns, that is our reward. We're going to talk about that. If we don't have that sure and certain hope of the resurrection, 
then none of this makes sense. So today we close out our sermon series called The Body of Christ. We've, we've looked at chapters 12 through 15 in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And it's important for us to continue to learn and to grow in what it means to be the body of Christ. And so we've, we've talked about what it means to be the church. How are, how are we to use our spiritual gifts? How are we to practice Christian love? How are we to build up the body? We've been talking about these things in chapter 15. We see Paul closing out this letter by talking about the literal body of Christ, the physical body of Christ. Because at the heart of this gospel that Paul and the apostles preached was a corpse, the body of Jesus. That body which was killed and which was made alive again three days later. And as we saw last week, the entire message of the gospel hinges upon what happened to that body. It hinges upon a bodily resurrection from the grave. Our very existence as a body of believers, as the church, hinges upon what happened to Jesus' physical body. So verses 20, 21 through 23 say this, says, For as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So death came into the world through Adam's sin. And you and I die because of it. But that is not the end. We are now in Christ, who is the second Adam, or the last Adam. We've been transferred from Adam into Christ. And what happens to His physical body, what happens to Jesus' physical body, will happen to our physical bodies. Christ truly died and was truly raised, and he was the first fruits, is what Paul says. He was the first fruits. See, his resurrection was not like Lazarus. What happened to Lazarus? Lazarus was called out of the tomb by Jesus, but what happened to Lazarus eventually? He died again. Poor Lazarus. He has to die twice. This is... Resurrection was a, rection, a, a, a resurrection unto eternal life. Scripture says that death no longer had dominion over him. Therefore, because you are baptized into him, according to those very same verses, death will no longer have dominion over you when you are raised from the grave. It's really unfortunate, but far too often we tend to sell the Christian message short. We kind of give it short shrift a little bit. We tend, to, we tend to talk about eternal life as this pleasant but disembodied existence. Kind of like we die and we're all these floaty spiritual beings, you know. Our souls get to be with Jesus, but our bodies rot in the ground and that's that. Some of our more comical misunderstandings of this is, you see this in pop culture, right? You float to the sky to sit on a cloud and chill with a harp, right? Does anybody want that? Do you want that? No wonder people don't find our message all that compelling. It's not that attractive. Now we're coming up a little bit short on how the Bible actually talks about this. Paul's understanding of the resurrection was the very reason he was so willing to put his life on the line every day. 
It's why he didn't even think twice about it. It's why he considered the cost of taking up his cross and following Jesus every day to be a very small price to pay. Because that's what waits for us on the last day. It's so glorious. It's this complete victory over death, a resurrection into a glorified body that knows nothing of death and its effects. Sometimes in popular culture, you'll hear things like, um, you know, death is a door. Death is a door. That's not really how the Bible talks about it. It's not a door. Matter of fact, death is an enemy. Death is an enemy which is brought about by sin. Death isn't pretty. It's not fun to think about. If you've been to a funeral recently, you know what I'm talking about. Death is not our friend. In death, we have a, this unnatural separation of body and soul. This effect that's brought about by sin. But for the Christian, death is also a sowing. Death is a sowing. Yes, your body will go into the ground, but brothers and sisters, that's only the beginning. Yes, your soul will be kept safe in the bosom of Christ with all the saints until He returns for His own, but that, of course, is not the end. Our ultimate hope is not what happens to us when we die, although that's a great comfort to us. That's not our ultimate hope. Our ultimate hope is what happens when Christ returns on the last day. That is the day when death will be destroyed. That's the day when it will be swallowed up once and for all, and all will be made new. And the new creation that Jesus has established at His resurrection will be fully yours, as the body that you now have will be made completely new. So what do I mean that death is a sowing? How are we to think about what's going to happen to our bodies whenever they are raised on the last day? Are we sure that God can do this? The God that made the sea pigs and the God that made the axolotls and these things, can God do this? Sure he can. Paul talks about it a little bit. He says, for us to understand what this is like, we have only to look to our gardens. One commentator said, I love this. He said, the mystery of the resurrection is contained in every sprouting seed. The mystery of the resurrection is contained in every sprouting seed. Any gardener or farmer knows this. Some of you out there, you know that a lifeless seed will produce something far greater than what it was under the right conditions. God has built the promise of the resurrection into the very fabric of creation. It's all over the place. See what Paul's words say. Verses 35 through 38. He says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. And then in verse 42, he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So follow Paul's illustration here. You've got a, you've got a seed or you have a bulb. 
that's sown into the ground in one form. And in a sense, it dies. We know that some bulbs even reek of death and decay. They are not pleasant to smell. But given the right conditions, it springs forth from the ground in an entirely new state. It's still the same material that it was before, but now it's different. It's different. It's still the same seed, but now it's this plant that has taken on this new life that is different from the one before. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If you can remember, whenever Jesus was raised in John's gospel, he appears to Mary Magdalene in the tomb. And he was the same Jesus, but he was different, wasn't he? She didn't recognize him at first. Who does she think he was? The gardener. Isn't that interesting? And once he called her name, she knew it was Jesus. He was still the same Jesus, but somehow he was different. He was resurrected and glorified. He's different. And whenever your body is raised on the last day, you will, you will still be you, but you will be changed Sometimes we look at our own humble bodies. You know, we wake up in the morning, we look at this, this, uh, we look at this thing in the mirror and we groan and we say, man, I'd rather be anybody, but, but it's not going to be that way on the last day whenever Jesus comes for you. Your body will be resurrected. And in your resurrected and glorified body, you're still going to be unique You will be yourself. We're not going to be clones of one another. But you're not going to suffer any effects of sin and death. You will show no signs of aging and decay. That old Adam, that sinful nature that you still have, will be completely gone and left behind in your grave. You will be unable to sin. You will be more human than you ever dared to imagine. What was perishable before before will be raised imperishable. We'll kiss death goodbye. We'll buckle up for life of the world to come with our risen and glorified King Jesus. Our bodies are going to be made like His body in every way except for one way. Our bodies will bear no scars, but His will. Those scars on Jesus' hands and His feet and on His side, those are going to remain forever. As a sign and as a promise that He has conquered death, sin, and the devil once for all. And He gladly bears those scars so that you and I don't have to. That, my friends, is far more powerful and far more potent than floating off and chilling on a cloud and playing a harp. This resurrection is a hope of the gospel. It's a, it's a hope of the gospel that packs a punch. And isn't this our mission to the world? To testify to the works of God? Isn't it our mission? 
Yeah, it's, it's our very purpose as the body of Christ. It's why we exist. It's to proclaim to the world the hope of the gospel. And at the heart of that gospel is a bodily death and resurrection of Jesus who promises that same future and eternity for all who believe. So as we close this series out, we remember that it is the gospel that makes us the body of Christ, the church. It is the gospel that the Holy Spirit uses to forgive our sins and to manifest the life of the kingdom in our midst. It is the gospel that compels us to do good works. The gospel that compels us to practice Christian love. It's the promise of the resurrection that gives meaning and significance to the things that we suffer this side of eternity. It's the promise that enables us to turn the other cheek whenever we're reviled, whenever we're hated for the sake of Christ. We can take up our crosses and follow Him Because those crosses in this life are not the end. Our resurrection is. So hold fast to His promise until the end. Because He's promised that He is holding fast to you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. That hope which will be completed when Christ returns on the last day and he calls you out of the grave into the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.